Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18 in my Bible, and I'm going to be stitching together three different passages in Samuel, and so I really need you to open up a Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and let's get ready to study together in the Word of God for these next few minutes. It is a delight to see everyone this morning. What a beautiful day the Lord has given us, and it is just a privilege for us to be assembled in this place together to worship God, to exalt our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And at the very same time that we're doing that, we are building and stirring one another up to love and to good works. I'm glad to be here. I trust that you are as well. I'm going to encourage you to be back this evening at 6 o'clock for another period of worship, at which time our brother Kane Atkinson is going to preach his final sermon in this summer training program that we've been engaged in for the last three months. And I have it on good authority that Cain intends to kind of go out with a bang and not with a whimper. And so let's all be back tonight at 6 o'clock, and when he's done preaching, we'll give him a good swift boot out the back door. No, we'll not do that, but we will sit at his feet, and we'll get to hear him preach one more time this summer. Look forward to that. This is the unofficial end of summer, and that's because this is the start of the school year. And, of course, many of our kids started back to school last week, and I think most of the rest are going to be starting back this week. And for the past four years, right around this time every year, I make it a point to preach a back-to-school sermon, if you will, a sermon that's kind of specifically geared to our young people to encourage them and to equip them to serve the God, serve God as they enter in this new school year. And I'm going to do that again this morning, but I'm going to hone the application of this lesson in one specific direction. And as a result of that one specific direction, this lesson and the application of it, it's going to apply just as much to grown-ups and adults and people of every age, just as much as it is for our young people. Read with me then, if you will, in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm reading here in verse number 1. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, the Bible says... That as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Boy, I tell you what, I would like to have a friend like Jonathan, wouldn't you? Even if you didn't know anything else about this guy, you could read that one verse and you could come away thinking, man, I wish I had a friend who loved me as their very own soul. One translation says, David became as dear to Jonathan as his very life. And of course, if you study through the next several chapters in the book of Samuel, you will find that that is absolutely true. Jonathan is right by David's side, in good times and in bad, through thick and through thin. He gives him counsel. He gives him encouragement. He even protects and even saves David's life. David valued that. David treasured the friendship of Jonathan. Flash forward now, if you will, roughly 15 years. Look in 2 Samuel 1. In 2 Samuel 1, the Israelites find themselves in battle with the Philistines under the very foolish and just ridiculous direction of Jonathan's father, King Saul. David is curious about what's gone on in that battle, and he receives a report of what's taken place. In 2 Samuel 1, I'm reading here in verse 2, 2 Samuel 1 verse 2, On the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. 
And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and he paid homage. And David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. He answered, the people fled from the battle. And also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. David's best friend. David's closest confidant throughout these past 15 years. That would have been probably like his late teenage years and all throughout his 20s. That friend was now dead. And we know that that was a crushing loss to David. Because verses 11 and 12 goes on to say that David tears his clothes at this news. And he weeps and he mourns and he fasts. And then the last 10 or 11 verses of this chapter are devoted to this song that David writes. A lamentation that he writes for his fallen friend, Jonathan. What a hole that must have created in David's life. But as sad as that was, life... Well, life must go on. David is now the king. He has a kingdom that must be governed and ruled. In fact, let's flash forward another ten years or so. Look in 2 Samuel 11. In 2 Samuel 11, at this point in time, Israel is just flourishing. And David is arguably at the high point of his career as the leader of God's people. Things are going very well for Israel. Things are going very well for David. That is until 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. He took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Of course, you know what happens next. David's adultery leads to deception, which then leads to murder, which then leads to the death of the innocent child that had been conceived by his fornication. All of that then sets off a chain of events, a series of events where the sword never departs from David's house. A couple of chapters later, David's son Amnon is going to rape his half-sister Tamar. Shortly after that, his son Absalom is going to murder his son Amnon. Absalom is then going to lead a revolt to try and dethrone his father from the kingship. And then ultimately, Absalom is going to die in a brutal and horrific fashion. It's just one continual stream of misery and heartache and pain, all because of what took place in verses 3 and 4. But what if? What if, what if Jonathan had been there? You ever thought about that? What if Jonathan had not died in battle some ten years previous? What if Jonathan had been there that day in 2 Samuel chapter 11? I think, I think things would have been very different. You know, even though David had advisors, and he had generals, 
And he had priests, and he had cabinet members, and he even had an old prophet named Nathan. He had all kinds of people around him who gave him counsel, gave him advice, gave him direction, gave him instruction. David never quite had a friend that was like Jonathan ever again. And so I'm asking you, what if Jonathan had been there on that fateful day? Had he been there? I think 2 Samuel chapter 11 would maybe read something like this. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. and The woman was very beautiful, verse 3. And as David turned to go back inside and inquire about her, there stood his chief commander Jonathan to give him a report of the battle against the Ammonites. And Jonathan said, David, you didn't... Were you looking... David, you're not thinking what I think you're thinking, are you? As David's face began to blush, Jonathan said, No. No, David. That's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He is one of your most loyal soldiers. You can't have her. Because to take another man's wife, that is sinful. King or no king, you're not doing that. I won't let you do that. It is wickedness against God. So verse 4, David hung his head in shame. And he said, you're right. That was wrong of me to have such impure thoughts. Pray for me, old friend, and help me to remain faithful to God. So David and Jonathan prayed together and returned to the council room to deliberate the battle plans for the next day. And the kingdom of Israel enjoyed great prosperity for 40 years. And the household of David had peace all the days of his life. How different David's life could have turned out if a friend, If Jonathan had been there to check that evil desire, to call him into account, to help him, to be faithful to the Lord, what if Jonathan had been there? I'm asking that what if question this morning so that I can then ask two more important questions about your friendships. Because I'm going to suggest to you this morning, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here this morning, And say that if you want to go to heaven, and I think that you do, your presence here today says to me you're interested in going to heaven, then one of the essential components that you're going to need in order to make heaven a reality is that you're going to need to have a quality relationship with a godly friend. Whether you are a young person going back to school, whether you're a middle-aged person who goes and works at a job, whether you're a retired person, an older person who stays at home and does things there, I'm saying this morning, you need a friend like Jonathan. That's what you need. And I'm not just saying that just from my own thoughts. The Bible's going to bear that out for us this morning. Let me set before you two crucial questions about friendship. Two questions you need to be asking and you need to be asking yourself very seriously this morning and that begins with this first question. 
Who? Who is your Jonathan? Let's put some passages in play. Let's start in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 18, in Proverbs chapter 18, we will make great use of the wisdom literature this morning. There is so much said in the book of Proverbs about friends, about friendship. In Proverbs chapter 18, I want you to notice how Solomon says that life is not about just you know, accumulating a big old list of friends, having a whole bunch of friends. That's not really what life ought to be about. Because, verse 24, Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what we're looking for, the end of verse 24. We're not looking for a bunch of fake friends. We're not looking for a bunch of artificial acquaintances. We're looking for a real friend. We're not looking to accumulate a bunch of Facebook friends. We're looking for a true friend who will help you to serve God. One fellow logged on to Facebook one day. And after scrolling through his news feed, he said this. He said, I now know what ten of my friends had for breakfast but I don't know whether any of them is struggling with a real-life issue. You know, is it possible that we are substituting shallow and empty and internet friendships? Are we substituting that for real, genuine, Jonathan relationships? And even if you're not somebody who uses social media, can I ask you, Is it possible that you are substituting some of that trivial talk that we often do in the foyer? Hey, what about the weather? Hot outside. How about those wildcats? They look great. What about all of that? Are we substituting that kind of talk for deep, substantive conversations with a friend who cares about your soul? Jonathan was that kind of friend. In fact, I can show you an example of that. Would you turn back to Samuel? Look in 1 Samuel 23. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, there is this remarkable account of David at a very low point in his life. Saul is chasing him all over the countryside. He is in fear of his life. His family is being put at risk. Everything is seemingly going wrong and falling down around David. But we're told in 1 Samuel 23, in verse 15, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, notice this, and strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. I'm asking you this morning, who is doing that for you? Young people, who in your life is doing that for you? He strengthened his hand in God, verse 17. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horash, and Jonathan went home. Jonathan came to David, and he spoke to him the word of God. He helped David to continue doing what was right. He strengthened his hand in the Lord. And I want you to understand, that means that this friendship was not some casual, hey, how you doing, good to see you kind of relationship. No! This is a real friendship. This is a friendship of substance and of meaning. 
In many ways, this is the flip side of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33. You know that passage? We often quote that verse to our youngsters. Evil companions corrupt good morals. We try to tell that to our young people and tell our kids and tell them, hey, don't be hanging around and running around with bad people because they're going to make you do bad things. Well, you know what? If that is true, and it is, then the inverse of that is also true. That righteous companions build good morals. I'm asking, do you have a friend who's doing that for you? You've got somebody in your life who is helping to build good things? I'm not asking, do you have a friend that you're able to share your hobbies with? I'm not asking, do you have a friend who will give you a like under every single thing that you post on Facebook? I'm not asking if you have a friend that you chat with and you enjoy talking to a little bit for a few minutes on Sundays and Wednesdays, but that's the only time you all ever have any kind of personal interaction with one another. I'm asking, do you have a Jonathan in your life? Someone who can strengthen your hand in the Lord. Someone who will call you into account. Someone who will come to you and just candidly say, Hey, why aren't you coming to services on Wednesday night? What's the deal there? Someone who will come to you and who will ask, are you going to wear that out in public? It seems a little bit revealing. It seems like you're showing an awful lot of skin. I'm not sure you need to wear that. Do you have somebody who maybe will see something that you post on Facebook and they'll say, hey, it didn't really seem like something that a Christian ought to be doing or publicizing. Young people, you're at somebody's house, you go to a friend's house and there's a bunch of people gathered there. And somebody maybe turns on a movie or puts in a DVD. And that movie's got all kinds of filth and profanity, and four-letter words, and sex, and nudity going on in it. Is there going to be somebody there who's going to have the courage enough to say, "Eh, I don't think we need to be watching this. And actually, if this is what we're going to be doing here, then I'm just going to have to go. I, I can't be involved in this. you got a friend like that? Who is your Jonathan? Someone who will call you up and say, Hey, can we meet up? We need to talk. Can we maybe get together, meet over across the street at the Mexican place, meet down at the coffee shop? Can we just talk? Someone who will encourage you? Someone who will hold up your hands? Someone who will help to maybe even repair and rebuild your walk with Jesus Christ? Someone who knows you and who wants you so very badly to go to heaven someday. Look in Proverbs again, please. In Proverbs chapter 11. In Proverbs chapter 11, I'm looking in verse 13. In Proverbs chapter 11 and in verse 13, there the wise man says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. There we go. Who do you trust? Who do you trust that you are able to talk to and open up to? Who is it that knows you? and cares about you, and they have the best interest of your soul in mind whenever you're together. You need someone like that. I need someone like that. In fact, we need to be cultivating and working on those kinds of relationships. You know, all too often we want to build relationships with people because, well, because they're really funny or because they're really cool, or because they're wealthy and they come from a big family, or because they're popular, or because they can help me in school, or they can help advance me in my job, when what we really need to be doing is seeking out relationships that's going to have a significant measure of trust to them, so that we can then open up 
and be candid and be real. And we can help each other with the real issues that we face in life. Do you have a friend like that? Of course, you realize, don't you, that a big part of that, a big part of having a friend like that means giving permission. To have a friend that you trust enough that you are able to say, I want you to call me into account. I want you to hold me accountable. If you see that my life is out of step, if you see that I'm drifting away from God, if you see some habits starting to form in my life that ought not to be there, I am counting on you to say something to me. That's Psalm 141. In Psalm 141, this is David who actually writes this. And I often wonder about when he wrote this. I wonder if maybe he wrote this after the events of 2 Samuel chapter 11. In Psalm 141, here is what I believe you and I, we need to make our personal mantra. In Psalm 141 and in verse 5, David says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. You know what David's saying there? David is saying, I want a friend who will give it to me. Even if it hurts, I want him to give it to me. I want a friend who loves me enough to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't worry and you're all wringing your hands about that. About how that's going to be awkward to go and say that to me. Or that's going to be difficult to confront me about that. No. I want somebody who's going to be a Jonathan in my life. I'm going to tell you, when we grant that kind of permission to another person, that brings power to a friendship And that can accomplish some very amazing things. Now before I leave, before I leave this first point, can I make an observation for all of the guys in the room? Fellas, young and old, I need you to hear me right now. When I was looking for uh, the background that I wanted to use for the PowerPoint, something that would tie into the lesson, I went to Google Images and I just did a simple search for, for friendship. And do you know what kind of results you get when you Google friendship? Well, you get lots of pictures of women being friends. You'll get lots of pictures of little kids being friends. You'll even get a few pictures of little puppy dogs and little kitty cats being friends. And as I was looking at all of that, I could not help but ask myself the question, where's all the pictures of guys being friends? Why aren't there any pictures of men being friends with one another? Men, can I ask, why are we so afraid to be friends, to be close to another man? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that maybe the greatest threat that homosexuality poses to our culture is not gay marriage. It may very well be the fact that men today are afraid to have a deep relationship with another man because they are afraid someone's going to look at that and they're going to say, what are you, gay? Gay! Oh, that looks so gay! And as a result of that, we are pushing ourselves away from the very thing that David and Jonathan had with one another. A deep and abiding friendship in the Lord. Men, we need that. 
We need a friend that is trustworthy. Someone that we can count on. Someone that we can open up to. Would you look in Proverbs again? I'm looking in chapter 18. In Proverbs chapter 18, men, look at what happens whenever we don't have a friend like that. In Proverbs chapter 18, look at verse 1. In Proverbs 18 and verse 1, the wise man says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. The Bible says you need someone who's going to call you into account. You don't want to isolate yourself because whenever we isolate ourselves, we create the opportunity for us to do what's wrong and then to continue doing what's wrong. And yes, I am aware that even as I say this to our men this morning, I am aware that there are people in this world who say that David and Jonathan were homosexual. God forbid that anyone would say such a thing. And I am also aware that if you cultivate this kind of relationship, this kind of friendship with another man, people may misunderstand that. They may look at that and they may say, boy, that looks gay. But I want to say to you, We need each other, men. And we cannot allow the perverted attitudes of this world to drive us away from having the kind of righteous and spiritual friendship that Jonathan and David had and that David so desperately needed that afternoon when he was walking on the roof of the king's palace. I'm going to ask you one more time. Who is your Jonathan? Which leads me right into this second, in some ways, equally important question. And that is, who are you being a Jonathan for? If you're still in Proverbs, just jump over to chapter 27. In Proverbs chapter 27, this is verse number 6. In Proverbs 27 and in verse 6, there the wise man says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, if you were to talk to people and maybe take a poll about what people think of as being the most important attribute, the most important thing that they look for in a friend, you'll probably hear people say things like, well, it's important for them to have a a good sense of humor, somebody who's able to laugh. Or finding somebody who's loyal and who is really trustworthy. Finding somebody who has character and they're an upstanding moral person. Okay, all those things are good. Don't want to diminish any of that. I like having a laugh as much as the next guy. Finding somebody else who will laugh with me. But you realize we are the people of God. And that means that our priorities are a little bit different than what the priorities of this world are. We realize that having somebody who's going to maybe have a few chuckles with us down here That really doesn't matter in light of the call of heaven. In light of the opportunity that we have to serve Jesus Christ. Because what we believe is that one day we're going to stand before God in absolute and final judgment. Which means that on that day, our understanding of friendship is going to be very different from the rest of this world. Because what we want is we want a true friend in the Lord. We want to be a spiritual blessing to another person. We want to help that person go to heaven. Which means that if something isn't right in that person's life, if there is sin in that person's life, 
If there is something spiritually amiss in that person's life, then a true friend, a Jonathan, cannot sit idly by and just remain silent. In fact, as you look there at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, that is what the faithful wounds are. And admittedly, that is so hard to do. I think there's a reason that the wise man uses the word wounds. Because sometimes to go to someone and to say what needs to be said, that is painful. You know, it's a whole lot easier for us to rationalize away in the moment and say things like, well, I'll say something to them later. Maybe someone else will go and talk to them. You know what, if I talk to them, it's just going to make things weird. It's going to make things strained. Things are going to be really awkward between us. I don't want to be ostracized from them. I don't want them to be angry at me. It's hard. I get that. I'm saying to you this morning, we need to be a Jonathan if we want to actually have Jonathan relationships. Somebody would maybe ask, well, how do we do that kind of thing? Can I give you just a couple of quick suggestions in that direction? Can we get a little bit of New Testament this morning? How about Philippians 2? In Philippians 2, you know, we often sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. Okay, maybe Jesus is who we need to be looking to. Maybe He really is the ultimate template and model of what a friendship is all about. What kind of friend was Jesus to us? Philippians 2 tells us. Philippians chapter 2, we're told in verse 7, that Jesus came to this world, He made Himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, And being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to suggest this morning that being a Jonathan, that all has to start by loving sacrificially. You think about Jesus. Jesus is our friend at great cost to Himself. Jesus is not your friend because... Because he's trying to get something out of you. You ever had a friend like that? Where it just seems like that's the whole base of the relationship. They just want to get something out of you. They're going to get some benefit out of you. You're clearly just being used by this other person. That other person isn't really contributing anything to the relationship. They don't really care about you. Well, that's not a Jonathan kind of friend. And if I'm going to be a Jonathan, then I need to genuinely care for another person. I need to love him or her as my own soul. I need to love that person sacrificially, the way Jesus did. Well, I'm willing to give some stuff up. I'm willing to give myself up for who? For them, for their good and for their betterment. And then secondly, we want to build rapport with that person. You know, just because I get word that somebody has done something bad, done something sinful... That doesn't mean that I need to just immediately plow in there and I just start beating them with the Bible and shout and scream and yell at them. That's not helpful. And why? Because there's no depth of relationship there. You've heard the expression before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you know what? That's a, that's a general truth. Maybe that doesn't fit everywhere and in every occasion, but you know what? There's a lot of truth in that idea. If I've known somebody for all of five minutes, and suddenly I'm just screaming and shouting at them, that's not going to lead to a very positive outcome, I'm going to guess. We want to start slowly with people. 
We want to build some rapport, build a connection with them. That's Proverbs again. Would you find Proverbs 15? In Proverbs chapter 15, I'm looking at verse 23. In Proverbs 15 and in verse 23, there the wise man says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. One translation renders that verse, Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It's a wonderful thing to say the right thing at the right time. That's the key. We want to love people sacrificially, and then we want to develop the kind of rapport where we are able to say the right thing at the right time with the right spirit so that it can be received with the right heart. Which means that thirdly, there needs to be some constancy in that relationship. We need to actually be there for people. And I want you to understand, I'm not just using that expression the way we sometimes use, like, oh, I'll be there for you. I'll always be there for you. I'm saying we need to actually be there. Would you flip over a page to chapter 17? In chapter 17, I'm looking at verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You remember that passage we read earlier in Samuel? How Jonathan arose from where he was and he literally, physically went to David. He made the trip to go and be there with his friend. To be by his side. To talk to him face to face. And I'm saying all of that to tell you that yes, a phone call is good. A text message is good. A Facebook message is good. In fact, in some cases, that may be the only thing we're able to do. But I'm going to tell you what's even better. What's even better is actually being there. When someone is struggling, when someone is barely hanging on to their Christianity by a thread, and you go to them, maybe you visit them at their home, maybe you run into them out somewhere, maybe you see them at work, maybe you then invite them and take them out for coffee. What that does is that gives some gravity to that relationship. And it says to that friend, I am committed to you. Look, I was willing to drive out here to come and see you. I am here to help you even in a time of adversity. When someone is struggling, we go there to them. That says to them, I want to be your Jonathan. And then finally, of course, in some ways it goes without saying, but we need to be praying. I believe that when we pray for... Or even better, when we pray with someone, that just helps to raise that friendship to a whole nother level. It signals to that friend that, you know what, the basis of our relationship is a whole lot more than the weather, or sports, or kayaking, or golf, or whatever it is that we like to do. It's saying to that person, I am interested in your spiritual well-being. That's James chapter 5, isn't it? Look in James chapter 5, one final passage this morning. In James 5, here is a verse that I'm going to tell you. I am afraid that we have relegated this verse to the front pew during the invitation song. I'm afraid that all too often we read this verse and what we immediately think about is someone coming forward during the invitation and sitting down on that front pew. And I want you to know this morning that that is not what this verse has in mind. In James 5 and in verse 16, James says, 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That is not the front pew during the invitation song. That is in the context of a genuine relationship between two people who are trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that you can go to them and you can pray with them because you want to be a Jonathan to them? Let me be very candid. Without these kind of relationships, there's going to be souls that are going to be in danger. There are going to be brothers and sisters who are going to flounder in sin And if we say nothing, and if we do nothing, because we never built a substitute enough relationship to where we could say something, people are ultimately going to die, they are going to be lost, and they're going to go to hell for all of eternity. How different. How different David's life could have been. If only Jonathan had been there. I'm asking you this morning, how different could the lives of your friends be If you'll do the kinds of things that say to them, you know what, I love you. And I love you too much to just sit idly by and let you make a mess of your life and a mess of your soul. Let's get it turned around. Who? Who are you being a Jonathan for? It is said that a true friend is the person who walks in when everybody else walks out. And I believe that Jonathan was that for David. And I believe that we need that today for us. And I believe that we need to be that for somebody else. I need everybody right now. You can tell that I'm winding down to the invitation and this is usually the time where everybody's rustling around and doing stuff and fidgeting. I need you to stop doing that. And I need you to laser in and I need you to think very carefully. I need you to identify in your life right now Number one, who is your Jonathan? Number two, who are you being a Jonathan for? This lesson, really like every other lesson, is useless if you don't answer those two questions and then get to work on them. And if your honest answer to either of those questions is, well, I don't have anybody. Yeah, I mean, I've got some friends and acquaintances, but I mean, it's nothing like the friendship between Jonathan and David. I just don't really have somebody. If that is you this morning, can I encourage you right now to take a look around this room? For Pete's sake, there's like 140 people that make up this congregation. People of every age, people of every background, people of every maturity level, everything, every kind of you know difference that you can imagine. There is no excuse for you to be lacking in the friendship department of quality and godly and good friends. Take a look around this room and get you a Jonathan. And then take another look around this room and see who you can be a Jonathan for. Then, get started today cultivating that friendship We help each other in our journey toward heaven. Now as we extend the invitation of the Lord, I am reminded 
talked about friends, talked about the invitation of Jesus. I'm just reminded of the greatest friend that any of us could ever have. That, of course, would be Jesus. And I'm reminded of what Jesus Himself said about friendship in John 15 and in verse 13. When He said, Greater love has no man than this, than that He laid down His life for His friends. Jesus not only said that, He did that. He he gave His life for us so that we might be reconciled unto God, so that we could be friends with God. And in the very next verse of that chapter, Jesus goes on to tell us how it is that we do that. He says in verse 14, He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Have you done what Jesus has commanded? Have you done what Jesus has commanded about believing and trusting in Him? What Jesus has said about confessing His name before others? Have you done what Jesus has said about repenting and turning away from sin and turning to the Lord? Have you done what Jesus says about being baptized in water for the remission of your sins? If you haven't, then unfortunately you can't say that you're Jesus' friend because it just doesn't follow through. You haven't done what He's commanded. You can change that though today. You can obey the gospel and you can truly be a friend of Jesus. Brother or sister, may I ask you, are you actively doing each day what Jesus has commanded you so that you can be His friend? Are you being faithful to Him? Are you serving Him with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength? Or has sin entered into the picture and you're just not doing anything about that? There's unrepented sin in your life. I tell you, you can't claim to be Jesus' friend. Because you haven't done what He's commanded you to do. You need to repent today. You need to pray to Him for forgiveness. If you want us as your brothers and sisters to help you, pray with you, strengthen you, lift up your hands, be a Jonathan for you, then we're ready to do that right now. Whatever your need may be, let's be friends of Jesus by submitting to His will. Let's do that while we stand and while we sing.